0: Jesus taught us to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. And I want to teach you this morning about the devil. I do it for two reasons. First of all, it makes him mad. And there's nothing more I like to do than make the devil mad. Except make God happy. That's the second reason. That's the better reason. I'm trying to get over that whole delight in making him mad thing. Because that's a negative. But let me tell you where we're going with this. As God begins to bring out the giftedness that he's put in you as you discover more and more why you were made like you are, that you have a predisposition for a particular kind of impact in the body and in the world, you're going to come on the enemy's radar list. Let me let me, let me give you a, just a principle of, of physics that is shadowed in the spiritual world, but not quite the same. Principles of physics is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now the principle in the spiritual world is that for every action, there's an unequal and opposite reaction. I told you, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, that God wanted us to be aware of our opponent, watch this, but not so focused on our opponent that we begin to play his game instead of our game. And so that's what I want to just teach you a little bit more about his strategy so that you can avoid falling into his traps. First of all, I want you to know this. God allows Satan in your life to a certain extent. Uh, This is how, um, in in a sermon text for the day, how Jesus looked at Simon Peter, um, who was to be the head of the church. He was one of the chief Um, 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 of the disciples and this is what he said to him one day in Luke chapter 22 verses 31 32 he said Simon Simon behold Satan has demanded permission I want you to remember that word to sift you like wheat by the way you know what happens in the sifting process the chaff blows away The undesirable part blows away, and what you've got left is the part that does good, the desirable part. Now watch. It says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again. Simon Peter, like all of us, go through times of discouragement when we temporarily just kind of turn from the Lord. And he said, once you turn back, I know you'll turn back. Once you have turned back, you strengthen your brothers. Now, let me give you the kind of the general um, um, setup of the operation of the spiritual universe so that when it comes to your spiritual gifts, you can tell between what is real and what is counterfeit. All right? First of all, we need to understand that Satan has no power in your life that is overt power. The only thing He can do is get you to take yourself out, because He has no power over you. He's already been defeated on the cross, and He knows it. It says this in Colossians chapter 2. It says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Those decrees were our sins. Those are the leverage that that he had against, uh, that that the evil one had against us. That was the leverage. But it's gone. For those of you who trust in Christ, it was paid for on the cross. And so it's canceled out. Now watch. Which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. Now in this, he's talking about, you know, in, there's, in, the, in the Bible there's a reference to when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him that became demons, all right? Those are the rulers and authorities. Those are the ones that accuse, those are the ones that, that make war against us. We just talked, we just sang to the God of angel armies, all right, well, Satan's got his forces too. It says, the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So, now what's this say? First of all, there's no power struggle in the spiritual world. God's got all the power. Satan's got all the struggle. All right? We don't don't believe in a dualistic universe where you have good and bad, fairly equal, fighting against one another, and you're biting your nails as to how it's all going to turn out. We know how this turns out. We've read the end of the book. Satan is already defeated. And so therefore, it's important for us to understand how this impacts our lives. First of all, you need to know that because of what I just said, evil is not a positive force. Evil is a distraction from a positive force. Evil is only negative, it can only corrupt the good or mislead the good, all right? And so therefore, just as it says, I taught you this last week in Romans 12, 21, you cannot overcome evil with evil because there's there's just two negatives. In the spiritual world, two negatives don't make a positive, all right? So all you do is add to the negative. If you're trying to overcome evil with evil, all you're doing is adding evil. You overcome evil with good. Exactly. Now Satan knows that. And so even for people who are trying to do the good, this is what he does. He tries to counterfeit the good so that you will choose the good that is not God's good. It's another kind of good. It produces emptiness, not fullness. It produces distraction, not focus. Let me let me give you an example. First of all, <clears throat> we need to understand that even though Satan is a defeated foe, he's still dangerous, because because you can like cut off his head, there's still life, some life left until until the end uh, until the end of the world. Okay, some of you, some of you, uh, not you younger people, but some of you realize that chicken always didn't come cellophane wrapped in a grocery store. You, you, you know, some of your neighbors had their supply of chicken in their backyard. And every once in a while you'd see this ceremony where you'd go down there and say, we're having chicken for dinner? And they'd, and they'd, go, and they'd go back and you'd watch. And they'd either, you know, or, you know. But you watched the chicken after it got de- departed from its head. And you saw this thing just running without a head you know some of you were brought up in the country and you had snapping turtles back then and you'd cut the head off and you would say well that's that's no more danger to me except if you stuck your finger in that snapping turtles mouth in the severed head bang you know The snap was still there. It could still bite you. That's Satan. All right? Head cut off. He's he's done for on the cross. Still a danger. And he's a danger because he counterfeits what is good. Satan cannot take you out on his own. But he can, watch this, discourage you until you take yourself out. On your own he can watch this detach you from the relationships you need to sustain you and grow you you know when Pete was reading that that passage about Satan prowls around like a like a lion seeking someone to devour everybody has watched those nature shows and they know what lions go for Lions don't throw themselves at strong opponents in the middle of a herd. Lions wait for the weak ones or the lost ones to just kind of get off by themselves. That's the one they'll go after. That's still the one that Satan goes after. Satan will ply you with deceit, with a kind of deceit that kind of looks like, well, maybe, maybe there's something to that. In other words, he'll give you a counterfeit form of what is good. He'll tell you, for example, you know what you need? You need the kind of love that that fulfills you and makes you happy because love is about you being happier. Is that what we see in Jesus? No, we see this rich, deep love that is sacrificial. We know what it is to love. It's why so many people are afraid to really love. Because we know it's vulnerable. We know it's costly. That's the definition of love. And so God is building people, watch, who can go through that kind of pain and still do what's right. And in order to do that, you have to be tested. See, it wasn't just Peter that he turned to. This is an old pattern. You remember Job, don't you? In the opening chapter of Job, God's in heaven and, and the sons of earth come up and just kind of roll around in the parlor and, and Satan's with them. God looks at him and says, where you been? He said, well, I was down on the earth, just kind of going back and forth. God said, have you noticed my servant Job? How righteous he is. And of course, Satan is a cynic. Satan takes the negative view of everything. That's why he's called Satan. Satan means accuser. And so accuser doesn't ever look on the bright side of anything. It looks on the dark side of everything. He says, of course he follows you. You've given him riches. You've, 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 you've protected him. You withdraw your protection. He'll curse the day he was born. You know, God said, all right, let's have at it here. Why? Because God wanted to show something that all of us needed to see. He wanted to raise the game of job. You know, I don't know how many of you, what you your daily reading is. I, I, I read about, read, I go to about a, a dozen websites, and one of the websites I go to every day is ESPN. I love sports, and one of the headlines this week in ESPN was um, um, Serena Williams, one of the greatest tennis players in the history of the game if not be greatest Serena Williams thanks her opponents for raising her game there it is there it is he wants to raise your game and so God allows Satan to make Job go through watch this unjust suffering how many people of you know maybe yourself who've had to suffer that didn't deserve that suffering. They did nothing to deserve that suffering. And you had friends around going, well, you must have done something. Somehow that's your fault, just like Job did. But the whole point was he didn't deserve the suffering. God allowed it in his life, why? Because he raised his faith to the place of yet Though you slay me, yet I will love you. I will trust you. He did the same thing with Jesus before Jesus went into the full time ministry. It says in Matthew chapter 4, it says in Luke chapter 4, that he was led out into the desert by who? The Spirit. The Spirit of God led him out to be tested. I want you to remember this. God doesn't tempt people. Temptation means that somebody wants you to fail. Testing means somebody wants you to succeed. And so the Bible says, don't ever say, God tempted me. God doesn't tempt people. God tests people. The temptations come from inside yourself. God tests people because he wants to make you stronger. Even Jesus had to go out and deal with the devil in order to raise the power of His ministry. And so God will allow some access with limitation in your life. Here's what I want you to remember. Don't ever be afraid. Don't ever be afraid because God has got you and everything you're going through is to make you stronger and to make you better, watch this, and to make you more reliant on God. Now, let's talk about just exactly how he does that and what the danger is as we go along and we begin to to watch God use our lives to help other people out. There's a singular danger. It's called self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. One of the ways and probably one of the main ways you can tell the difference between what is a real spiritual gift and a counterfeit spiritual gift. Is a real spiritual gift exalts God, and helps people depend on God. A counterfeit spiritual gift exalts you, and makes people want to depend on you. This is how Paul put it. Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven, he had started, he had he had been given such a gift of these revelations, and he knew it, and it took him to a whole new level spiritually. And this is what he said: because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now nobody quite knows what that is, but everybody knows he prayed several times that it was re- to, for it to be removed, and the answer was no, no. You know, you can pray, and God can say no. Because it's a greater result from saying no than if he had said yes. So this is, what, this is what it says. A messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from, there it is again, exalting myself. What was the result of that? That he said to God, your grace is sufficient for me. For I would rather be in weakness. Now I want you to see something. Your weakness, depending on God, is better for you and for the world than your greatest strength, depending on yourself. Your greatest weakness, if it makes you depend on God, is better and stronger and more impactful and more powerful than your greatest strength that would make you depend on yourself. So here's the difference. We can understand that counterfeit gifts are about us. And, and, and by the way, these aren't always, I, I know many of your hearts, I've talked to, you don't intentionally exalt yourself, but it just kinda, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people, it, well, it made me feel good. You know? And I want you to know that's really not the point. Uh, and, and, and it's not a bad thing. I don't want you to feel bad just to feel bad. That's just ridiculous as well. But that's not, that's not the point. And so some of it's in, unintentional. I, I read this story one time, true story, about Ronald Reagan when he was running for governor of uh, California. And uh, um, he was giving a speech to this you know, small Spanish audience and, um, and there was no interpreter there, so he just assumed that they all could um, um, understand English and uh, or most of them and so he gave it it was a short speech in english and and uh and they all just kind of he got done and sat down they kind of politely applauded and his feelings were kind of hurt you know running for governor and it's just kind of a polite applause and so but he, he was a he was a good man and he didn't want to show it and so now a spanish speaker gets up and just begins to speak to them in spanish they're going wild I mean, they're applauding, you know. He's thinking to himself, okay, I'm gonna be the bigger man here. No matter what this guy's saying, if they're applauding, I'm applauding. I'm applauding louder louder, and I'm applauding longer. You know know where this is going, don't you? Somebody slipped up to him a few minutes into the speech and he said, "Uh, you might not want to do that. And Reagan said, why? He said, because he's simply translating the speech you just gave and it looks like you're applauding for yourself. Some of it's unintentional. Some of it's unintentional. But this is what we must know. When you have a spiritual gift, you're exercising a spiritual gift. I'm sorry, you don't have a spiritual gift. You're exercising a spiritual gift. It's not something you possess, that you control, that you do under your own power. It's something God is doing through you in ways more magnificent than you could ever imagine. I heard a story once about a guy who came up and, and to a minister and he said, what do I need to do to have peace with God? And the minister looked at him and said, oh, it's too late. And the guy said, it's too late to have peace with God? He said, no, it's too late for you to do anything about it. God's already established the peace. All you have to do is enter into it. Do you understand God's already done it all? This is the gospel. What do I have to do to be saved? Too late. God's already done it. It's a gift. You accept the gift. What do I have to do in order to be... It's too late. God's already done it. All we do is accept what He's done. Enter into what He has done and is doing and wants to do through us. And so let me give you just a few examples and I'll sit down. Let's take just a couple of the spiritual gifts. I'll teach you more as we go along. I'm gonna put these into the context of personal churches because spiritual gifts are always to be operated within as complementary to other spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not something you can discover by yourself or operate by yourself. It is all all to be operated in the context of relationships that God gives you. And so I'll be teaching you those gifts in in that context. But let me kind of show you the difference between some of the gifts that are God-operated and some of the gifts that are just of the flesh. That look. Like, let me. Let's talk about the, a gift of prophecy. Prophecy are people who who have been wired just to speak the truth, and God uses them to speak forth His truth. Now, what's the difference between a counterfeit prophet and a prophet of God? A counterfeit prophet just loves to speak forth a truth with such power that he or she intimidates people. And, and when, when I say it doesn't, you know, p- feelings don't matter, you know, that's not in a mature po- a prophet. Feelings do matter to a mature prophet because a mature prophet will know that if your feelings are too injured, you won't take the truth. And so a mature prophet will understand when they speak forth the truth, what happens is that people get it. They get what's going on. They get the reason for the whole thing. An immature prophet just comes in and just hits you over the head with Bible verses and God saith this and God saith that and they just love the power of it. That's a counterfeit gift. That's operating in a human appetite. That's not operating in the spirit. Let me show I read a story about one time about this, these, these little leaguers. And it was a rival thing, and the kids were playing. It was a nail-biting game. It was the ninth inning, the score was tied. Whoever scored next would win. And, and so there's a guy on third, and, and the guy up the bat was just not a, I mean, there was a bottom of the batting order. It kind of, you know, it just wasn't good. You know, and so <clears throat> he swings the bat, and by, you know, just the blessing of God, he just hits it, you know, just hits it. And it dribbles down to first. Well, here comes a guy on third. And he slides in home, and literally the dust was so thick that none of the fans could see. And so they all waited for the umpire to make the call, and the umpire made the call, he's out! Well, half of the crowd erupted. But no one had seen, including the umpire, that the catcher had dropped the ball, except the catcher. And the catcher... Turns to the umpire and said, I dropped the ball, he's safe. Everybody fell silent. And in that moment they remembered why they were there. It wasn't to win, it was to develop the integrity and the character of the players. See, that's what prophecy does. It develops character. It develops a wisdom that is beyond the circumstances. So there are, there are false prophets There are false apostles. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says uh, in, in uh, 13 and 14, for such are, men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So if Satan can not um, um, uh, overpower you with the negative, he'll counterfeit the positive. Same thing with the gift of mercy. You know, our, our community just went through this horrible event. And I know many of you have the gift of mercy and you just want to go down and just sit and listen, you know, because the human part of you wanted to empathize. That's wonderful, but that's not the gift of mercy. Because for those of you who just want to empathize, you can sit in that pain forever. Did you ever hear the phrase, misery loves company? Well, some company loves misery. And and, and they just feel like life is about sitting in misery together. That's not what God thinks. God uses misery to build something better always. Yet, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley, people with the gift of mercy bring with them a sense of hope. People with a gift of mercy bring with them a sense of healing. Bring with them a sense that I know this hurts now, but God's going to do something deep in your life that is going to have a purpose that makes this worth it. There's a difference between a real spiritual gift and a counterfeit gift. Well, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Here's the point. The point is that there's a place where the capabilities of earth end and it's the same place where the capabilities of heaven begins. My favorite poet is Emily Dickinson. I've read every word that woman has ever written several times and, and, and one of her pieces has this great first line. Listen to this, and then I'll tell you the rest of the poem. It was too late for man, but early yet for God. Isn't that a great, I want you to remember that. It was too late for man, but early yet for God. Creation impotent to help, but prayer remained our side. How excellent the heaven, when earth cannot be had. How excellent then the face of our old neighbor, God. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time when we begin to discern the difference between your presence in our lives and our lives which just want to produce something that seems right, but it's all about us. Help us. Help us to know that what seems too late for us is still early for you. That seems what what seems to be impotent for us is still a matter of prayer and intervention for you. And as we go along, as we walk along with you and you teach us how you made us in order to enter in through us into this world, help us always to fix our eyes on Jesus and not ourselves. We pray this in his name. Amen.